The Archangel Chronicles. Copyright 2022 by Raymond Collotti. All rights reserved. Chapter 11. Before the Great Race. Secrets for way too long This can't keep going on With every lie They keep on hurting you Getting away with everything they do This can't keep going on We're gonna find them And I'm gonna fight for you They better start hiding We'll be running with the lions Lions We'll be running with the lions Lions Several days later, after my meeting with Sophia and Axia, Theron joined me at the museum. I had invited Sophia, Rufus, and Didymus to the meeting. We assembled in a corner of the gardens, seated in a circle. Theron had brought Axia's brother Prototheus and six of his guards with him, all resplendent in their flowing silk caftans, tall pointed helmets, and gilded scaled armor. They stood in front of us, the object of enormous interest to the assembled scholars. Why, these horse lords have stepped right out of the Iliad, said Rufus, who walked around the guards, closely inspecting them. The guards remained impassive and magnificent, towering above the white-haired Didymus, who was also on his feet, looking at every detail of their costume at close quarters. Didymus turned to me and exclaimed, And you say that they have brought their Amazon queen with them? And to think that they are here now, at the very center of the civilized world? How extraordinary! I must write a book about this discovery. I asked Theron to tell the story, and of course, with an audience, he was up to performing it. He told the whole story, with extra embellishments and details, just like he was reciting an epic poem. When he finished, Didymus, who had been listening as if in a trance, jumped up, clapped his hands together and exclaimed, I tell you, this simply must be recorded for posterity. It is a story for the ages. Why, it rivals Homer himself. Turning to Theron, Didymus said, My good fellow, you must come back and dictate this to my scribes. The story must be preserved. We can write a play. I piped in. 
I'm afraid the story must wait, Kyrios Rufus and Didymus, for the heroine is in great danger yet. Rufus, the librarian, was more reserved and interested in the medical aspects of the story. How did you cure her? How did you know what to do? he asked. You have all heard of tetanus, haven't you? I began. Yes, of course, replied Rufus. It has long been known as a warrior's disease. It has been noted that a cut or stab wound can lead to the kind of seizures and spasms you describe. Is that what you think she had? Tetanus is caused by a living thing that is so small they cannot be seen. Many hundreds of thousands of them would fit on the head of a pin, I began. Their small size makes them dangerous. These organisms are called Clostridium tetani. They form spores that live in the soil or in the guts of animals. If introduced into the wound by, say, a dirty blade or a sword or arrow or any puncture by an instrument that pierces the skin, they grow and will reproduce themselves many, many times. These organisms secrete a type of toxin, a poison called tetanospasmin, which affects the nerves throughout the body. This causes the muscles to violently contract, leading to the spasms and seizures, the violent arcing of the body. The muscle spasms can be so violent that it will cause bones to fracture, and if left untreated, the patient will die. Rufus replied, Adam, you must write this down so that an account of it will be placed in the library, where it will be passed on to other physicians. For ages past, soldiers and armies and countless others have suffered and died from this affliction, and you know the cause. But how do you know? How did this knowledge come to you? It is a long, long story, Rufus. Just take it for now that I know. But you have a cure. You must publish this knowledge. I did not administer a cure, Rufus, though there is one. It can be made from the serum of a horse blood that is properly and carefully processed. I will write down that part when I am able. But that is not the medicine I administered. Sophia, who was sitting beside me, looked at me with those icy blue eyes and touched my hand. Adam, you do not think that this was the cause of the Scythian Queen's illness, do you? I turned to Theron. Theron, my friend, I told you that this illness could have one or two causes. Both of them would result in the spasms that you all thought were the work of evil spirits. The first was tetanus, but when I examined the queen's body, I could see no wound, no bruising, no cuts, no premature punctures. The organisms that cause tetanus cannot enter the body except through a wound. But, but, stuttered Theron, if this was not the cause, then what was? I believe she was poisoned, I said. Theron jumped to his feet. Poisoned? Poisoned? Poisoned, you say? In my own house? How? By whom? By Ares? I swear on my father's grave that whoever did this will be flayed alive. We must think about this calmly, my friend, said I. 
The poison is called strychnine. It is a colorless liquid. It tastes bitter. It is often mixed with food for killing rodents, like mice and rats. Sometimes it is used in very small amounts to strengthen muscle contracting as a stimulus for a weakened heart or a malfunctioning bowel. I tell you by Zeus that nothing of the sort has ever been used by me or anyone in my house. It is made from the seeds of a plant called the Strychnos nux vomica tree. There are only one or two places in all of Alexandria where such seeds can be found, for they come all the way from India. I have visited them in the Emporium and have found the source, I said. I held up a glass vial containing a small number of the seeds. This is what they look like. All of them stood up, came over, and carefully examined the seeds. So this was no accident, said Sophia. No, I do not think it was an accident, I replied. But who would do this? asked Theron, voice rising, his raising his fists to the sky. Tell me, physician, so I can send her brothers to tear this person apart, he hissed. I think the question is, who would want to do this? Where I come from, we would ask who has the motive. And we would also say, follow the money, and there you will find the motive. I do not understand, said Theron. You told me that Axia and her brothers were to be in a great race, and you had wagered a large fortune on the results. Who stands to gain if the race is lost because your most famous charioteer died before it? Theron flew into a rage. He tore out his hair and ripped his silken gowns. Of course, of course, the blues, the blues! They stand to lose a kingdom's worth of silver and gold if they lose this race. Who are these blues, I asked. Explain it to me, for I am not from this land and do not know. Theron looked at me incredulously. Have you spent your life on the top of a mountain raised by goat herds? He thundered, pacing back and forth. Do you know nothing of the chariot races at the circus, when every person in the empire knows and favors a team that organizes them? Like the whites, the blues, and the greens? Where have you been all your life, living in a cave? Some may say so, my friend, but I still need you to explain this to me, for this is where our answer lies. There and then, he explained the whole system to me. The chariot races in Alexandria, like all similar races throughout the empire, were sponsored on a massive scale by the factions. The reds, the blues, the greens, and the whites. The reds symbolize summer and are dedicated to Ares, or Mars, the Greek and Roman god of war. The whites winter and are dedicated to the Zephyrs, the four winds. The greens are spring and mother earth, and the blues autumn and the gods of the sea and the sky. These factions organize and sponsored the teams of horses, charioteers, and supporting slaves and staff like doctors, trainers, attendants, laborers, stage managers, actors. These teams sponsored games in multiple cities. Charioteers and their horses 
who are almost as famous as their drivers, would go from circus to circus throughout the empire. As their fame and success grew, they would graduate to the major leagues in the most prosperous cities like Alexandria. Chariot racing was a serious business. Women swooned over their charioteers. Children traded figures of them. Men argued ceaselessly in countless taverns about their strengths and weaknesses, tactics and wins and losses. The sums of money that it took to fund the games, pay the prize monies, raise and feed the horses, and support the innumerable supporting players was vast. And so were the fortunes that were wagered on the races themselves. It was another industry that was an associated enterprise to the races. The astonishingly large sums that were bet and traded based on the results of the races and much of the betting was organized and sponsored by the factions themselves. The factions organized trades and fairs and shows and sponsored members for political offices. Passions were high. Riots often resulted from the outcome of races. Whole neighborhoods were devoted to one or the other of the factions. Some factions were the favor of entire cities. Passionate support of different factions divided families. Whole family fortunes were won or lost on them. In the past, the Reds had suffered much misfortune. Lack of success in the hippodromes of the empire had sapped their popularity and drove their fandom into a downward spiral. That is, until the Reds found their savior in the form of an outcast Greek trader from Cherenesis, Theron, who although he had no money, attracted an impressive following of superb horsemen and a woman from the steppes, the Red Scythians. Theron, being the flamboyant showman that he was, realized the Reds needed him. In short order, the Scythian queen and her brothers and their small group of warriors took over the show. I thought, in my modern mind, that Theron knew how to build his brand. His troop began small, racing in the smaller provincial capitals, but they were fierce and ruthless competitors and were born to handle horses and in a flash easily adapted to chariot racing. Their horse rearing and riding skills and natural affinity to their steeds gave them a considerable advantage over other factions. I learned that the Reds, like the other factions, raced in teams, three chariots to a race per team. Thus, in any given race, 12 four-horse chariots could be competing. It was difficult and dangerous, but the Scythians were utterly fearless. Time and time again, they avoided the disastrous pileups, which are called shipwrecks, that became the hallmark of the races in the circus. The Red Scythians' fame grew and grew, and they developed an enormous and rowdy following. People flocked back to the Reds, and the monetary results were enormous and immediate. 
they attracted incredibly wealthy sponsors. Money flowed into their coffers. The challenges grew larger and larger. Finally, the Scythians graduated to the big leagues, leading even to Rome itself. All along the way, Theron, keeping his promise to the Scythians, set aside the lion's share of the treasure and saved it for the day the Scythian Queen Axia and her brothers would return to the steppes to retake their vast kingdom and lead the Masagite back to their former glory. Theron's goal was a big one. This was the way to restore the trade routes that had made his father and his ancestors wealthy. But there was to be one last race in seven days' time at the Legion Hippodrome here in Alexandria. We have wagered a staggering fortune on this race. If we win, we will have the means to raise an army. If we lose, all is for naught. And Axia, together with her brothers, are the only hope we have, said Theron. Tell me, Theron, you mentioned the Blues. What do they stand to lose in this race? Why, everything. Their backers have met our wagers, and if they lose, an immense fortune will be lost, not to mention the humiliation they will suffer. I tell you that across the Eastern Empire, from here to Asia Minor, the Blues will be shaken to the core that a bunch of so-called barbarians have beaten them. So, who are the backers of these Blues, I asked. Their biggest sponsor is that king of Judah, Herod. Theron spat on the floor. By Ares, I swear that wily fox has invested cartloads of silver and chests of gold in this race. How do you know? I asked. Herod is a great promoter of the races. He built four hippodromes in his own kingdom. One at Caesarea Marentima, one in Jerusalem, one at Jericho and one at Torahore in Galilee. Of these, the one in Caesarea is foremost. He paid a huge amount in silver to invite the factions to his realm and excite his people with the spectacle of the races. From the start, he has backed the blues. He invites their drivers to feasts at his palaces and has been known to dress in their colors, said Theron. Well, it seems to me then that he had much to lose if your red Scythians won this race, and they, uh, that he had much to gain if they did not win, I said. Turn to Sophia and the other scholars. Pray, tell me who is Eurycles of Sparta. Eurycles, Ethanarch of Sparta, asked Sophia. Why, he is a close friend of Herod's. I have heard a great deal about him from my friend and colleague Nicholas of Damascus. In his correspondence, he complains about how this man has ingratiated himself with Herod, filling his head with deceit and slander about Herod's two Hasmonean sons, Alexander and Aristobulus. Theron then exclaimed, Eurycles, what does he have to do with this? I thought he was one of our sponsors. How long has he been a sponsor? I asked. 
He saw us race in Caesarea three weeks ago. But you know he is here, in Alexandria now, and came to your stables to meet the Red Scythians the day before the Vasilisa became ill. Theron turned white. He thought about this deeply. Yes, he did come to the stables. He made an investment for the team then. We had a toast to seal the deal. Did you drink from different cups? Yes, but none of us have suffered from any poisoning. Who poured the wine? Why, it was Eurycles himself. I saw him hand a cup to the queen. I turned to Sophia and the philosophers. We do not have proof, but I will state a case to you. You tell me if this fits with the facts. We have here a rich Spartan puppet king who has become a close friend of Herod's. That Spartan seeks to gain further influence over him. He knows that his friend has wagered a fortune on this race. He sees a way where he can help his friend and make a lot of money for himself at the same time. So he pretends to invest a more modest wager on his newfound faction, the Reds. He wants to meet the heroes of the team, but his real reason may be to fix the race by eliminating a key player among the Reds, the Scythian queen herself. So he recruits help from purveyors of the dark arts of poisoning and sends an agent to find a source here in Alexandria. A poison containing strychnine is compounded, but masked so that it takes time to begin its processes within the body, for it would not do for the Scythian queen to die at the time the toast is being made. The poison does at work a few hours later. Tell me, honored scholars, is this not a reasonable hypothesis. Theron clapped his hands together and danced about. If this be the case, physician, they will not be expecting that someone like you would have brought her back to life just in time to win the greatest race of all. Theron's bearded face brightened into an enormous smile, revealing golden teeth sparkling in the sunlight. A mighty rumbling laugh erupted from his open mouth and he tilted his head back upwards and began to laugh and dance about waving his hands. Yes, yes, we shall keep this secret. Can you imagine the show we can make of this? We will have the Red Scythian Queen return from the dead. The Blues, the Blues, they shall pay dearly for this. Think of the possibilities. See right through You're holding your secrets for way too long This can't keep going on With every lie They keep on hurting you Getting away with everything they do This can't keep going on oh. We're gonna find them And I'm gonna fight for you They better start hiding We'll be running with the lions Lions
Chapter 11 Music, Epic Sound, Running with the Lions, by Loving Caliber, Ed Records, Save the World, by Long, Epic Records, Our Final Mission, by Christopher Moe Dittelvinson, Epic Sound, Running Against Time, by Mark Torch, Twins Music, Army of Knights. (laughs) 